Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted to sample the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, your life improvement series starts now. Heal Squad, you guys have heard Dr. Nicola Para on the show before. We interviewed her while we were in Connecticut, I think, yeah, right? Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so she is otherwise known as the holistic psychologist. She's one of the foremost online voices in emotional wellness. She has over 4.5 million followers Uh, on Instagram, and uh, she has traditional training from Cornell University. She believes that mental wellness is for everyone. Her views on mental and physical struggles from a whole person perspective and works to identify the underlying physical and emotional causes of pain. Wow. Very few people do that. Right. (laughs) Uh, She understands that balance is an integral part of wellness. She empowers individuals to heal themselves. What do we talk about every day, everybody? Mm -hmm. Supporting them on their wellness journeys. She is the creator of the online movement, Self Healers. Heal Squad, are you listening? Self Healers, where people from around the world are joining together in community to take healing into their own hands. Dr. Nicola Pera, so glad to have you back on the show. So honored to be here, Maria. And I have to say, Heal Squad, I think I'm adopting that one. Love it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we uh, we affectionately call our, our listeners. They affectionately call themselves the Heal Squad because that's what we believe in too. Love it. I think that we are disempowered in the medical community to, you know, to try to even attempt those things. Like we need to really know that we have the power to heal ourselves um, doesn't mean that we can't be collaborative or seek traditional help. Absolutely. But you know yourself better than anyone. You're going to be much more detailed than they ever could be because they don't have the time to be that detailed to, when they see, you know, 100 patients in a day. So um, self-healing is really, really important. Um, and especially when you're doing it with a safe practitioner that's guiding you through. So um, I'd love to know more about self-healers. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more. Um, for so many of us, we've what, what I call outsourced. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, even from very early on in our conditioning, have learned that other people have the answers. You know, of course, when we're in childhood, it's namely our parents or people older than us. And very quickly, that becomes maybe our friend group. 
and then experts in any area. And it's not to say, to speak to your point, that other people can't give us information. Um, other people can't give us a different perspective, not being us. We are all, all subjective to ourselves. So having other people on our journey is definitely part of the story, though we do know ourselves the best. And a lot of us do outsource our inner knowing when it is in opposition to what we're hearing from someone else. We're looking to take the path that maybe worked for someone else and not wondering why it doesn't work for us. And then there's, of course, the other reality, which is we're the ones waking up with ourselves day in and day out. And the way I think of healing is healing is a journey. The habits that we're living aren't, aren't, are creating the experiences we're having, whether it's relationship issues, whether it's actual symptoms of anxiety, a lot of them are based in our environment or the choices we're making. I think a lot about epigenetics, that the, the reality that we do have choice, right? We have genetics and then we have choices we make day in and day out. So back to what I was saying, we're the one making those choices. So to create change, Yes, going to an appointment for an hour a week for those of us have the, the privilege to do that is incredibly valuable. But my question always went back to, okay, well, what about all of the other hours in those weeks? What are the choices that these humans are making and how empowering are those choices? And can we empower different choices to create change? I love that. So in the self-healers um, movement, are you guiding everyone and and kind of teaching them how to how to do this? So, I mean, we think I think about the movement in, in two separate ways. And, and the first of it is the Instagram account. I can't believe that it's been, I think, three years now. I, 2018 uh, is when I first put that account up. And my intention in doing that was twofold, was to begin to talk about this new model of wellness that I was having a lot of success with in my own practice. Um, after coming to realize all of the limitations of traditional therapy, I began to work holistically using many of the tools that I began to talk about online with individual clients and saw such success, myself included. So for me, going to the free space that was Instagram that could be, you know, access the population now outside of where I was living in Philadelphia, I could begin to talk about these tools to others around the world. That was really attractive to me because again, it equalized access. Everyone or anyone who has a phone can access the app of Instagram. So for me, that was the way I could begin to share tools with people who might not have access to some of this way of thinking. The second piece of um, my intention was to connect with other people who were living the same journey because I came to realize how important relationships were, how important it was to have support and not just any relationships. All of us are in relationships of some kind, but to have relationships where we can be ourselves, where mm -hmm. we can begin to talk about some of these deeper truths and the journey that we're on in an authentic way. And I wasn't seeing that in the current relationships I was having. So again, I went online to find it. So for me, you know, the movement begins there, begins each and every day where you can sign on to an account and you can begin to hear a new model of wellness. And something I really do try to do in, in not only just talking about concepts, I really try to offer practical tools so that someone can walk away from seeing a meme of mine and actually have maybe some awareness of Hmm, why am I struggling the way that I am? That awareness for some of us is so healing because mm -hmm. a lot of us have felt broken. As we can't change, we begin to you know, believe that something is wrong with us. So the awareness is an, a big, big piece, but so is the practical tool. What new choice, like I was saying earlier, can I begin to make each and every day? So I am committed 
three years later to still showing up. I, of course, translated that into now a membership where each and every month we can dive a little deeper. So for me, it's the movement of healing in a community where we can talk about things authentically and begin to empower ourselves to create choice or change. I love it. We're going to get into relationships, but before we do, you mentioned Instagram and I am, first of all, you're my favorite Instagram account. I've told you this before, (laughs) but you just drop bombs and I just don't understand how one human can drop so many bombs. Like how do you collect, how do you even, I feel like I would have run out by now this many years in of bombs. Like it's not like any post just kind of, Oh, that was good. They're bombs. They're just truth bombs. They just connect. How do you do it? I appreciate, well, I appreciate you, you, saying that I'm a favorite. (laughs) I also appreciate though you even calling it a bomb because something I struggled with for a very long time was speaking my truth. I am the person who, if I had any inclination that what I had to say might upset whoever it was listening, not just even people I love deeply, even people I don't even know, I wouldn't say it. So I had that tendency ingrained from childhood. Mm -hmm. Again, there were very real reasons for that, but I filtered myself. And I, of course, did so in my practice for a very long time until I came to the realization that there was value in this truth. And I I appreciate your acknowledgement because it wasn't easy. And my partner, Lolly, from the very beginning, who was the person who offered me, you know, online as a great venue, a great avenue to begin to talk about some of these truths, really helped push me to say what I really meant and not to water my truth down as I once did. So thank you for acknowledging that. And of course, I've I've worked to do so. And I'm sharing that background because it isn't always easy, whether we're talking about sharing our truths or dropping knowledge or sharing wisdom we've gained in our journey. It is a hurdle. A lot of us have to, to jump over to even be able to first acknowledge the truth within ourselves, because that's where it begins, right? I have to feel confident in what I'm saying. And then I have to feel confident enough to say it to others who can then do whatever they will with it, which brings me to, right? Once you put something out there, then it's available to everyone and their subjective filters and what they think you said and the reaction that they very well might have to what you said. And then it's the whole conversation, right? Of how do I navigate sharing my truth um, with the reality that there is a lot of misunderstanding and that online is one of those places. Um, one of the ways that's kept me coming back is my what I share, whether I'm in on Instagram, whether I'm in the circle, my membership, much of it is either things I've gone through or things I'm going through. Because just like everyone, I'm still on my healing journey. So to answer your question about how do you kind of come up with it, of course, there was a part of me that was like, oh my gosh, I'm going on Instagram. I'm going to do this every day. Or, oh my gosh, I'm opening up a membership. That means until the forever future, I have to do something every month. There can't be enough content in the world. There can't be enough topics in the world. But again, as a learner, as someone who's still on my journey, it turns out there are because I'm an evolving (laughs) creature and I find new things, right? I get hung up at different aspects. Like I discover new, deeper layers. And then that just fuels me to teach that to the world. I know. I feel the same way. Like I get nervous about that too. But then we never, we go every day here. We never run out of topics because I'm so curious and I always want to learn and grow. Um, But, you know, the accuracy of your posts um, 
you kind of just nail us because we all see ourselves in it, but it is really scary. Um, and that's where I think we can shift into kind of relationships because when you are vulnerable, that's when you can be judged. That's when you can be hurt. And I think for a lot of us who have been very hurt along the way, we just kind of go into our turtle shells and be like, no more, no mas. Thank you. I'll just be in here. Leave me alone. Nobody hurt me. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'll be very surface. Let's just keep it like this. And so, but the truth is, anyone who gets out of the turtle shell and is honest is going to have the most success in their life. And I don't mean like career success, financial success. That's like a byproduct. I mean, success as a human where people are going to really rally around you because they're rallying because they can't do it yet. And you have. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way. 
T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the way. T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com. Promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Yes. What a what a beautiful uh, you know, kind of piece that you can offer someone, the path forward or the next step in, in someone's journey. And I think that a lot of us, you know, we, we do look for that inspiration because there is part of us that doesn't believe that it's there or maybe doesn't know how to take that step forward. And then of course there's the part of us, right. That doesn't actually believe that we can do that. Um, and so for me, that was very much a part of my journey. As I began to read about all of these ways that we can create health or wellness or healing in our life, I had a very deep rooted belief based again in, in past hurt that I've experienced that that's great. That's really great that all of these people have had so much success. This won't work for me. So I think it's that kind of that path forward, that next stepping stone can be empowering for some people and also can be really threatening. Here's that word again, right? Going back into my turtle shell for other people, because I might be the person that hears of someone's success or journey into alignment, whatever you want to call it. And I might be like, I once was, oh, good for them, not available for me. And then the reaction of course, is much more of retreat into my turtle shell, which sometimes it does look like retreat into my turtle shell. Oh, I don't like, this is nothing I'm interested in. I withdraw from the information or I might react outwardly. I might contend it. I might argue it, right? A lot of that comes from hurt. So let's talk about hurt. Hurt in childhood, in my opinion, impacts us well into adulthood. So many of us are carrying hurt. And the hurt I'm talking about isn't just hurt at the hands of abuse, abuse of, in the terms of the big T trauma, I think a lot of listeners might've heard that concept, essentially what that means, right? Are these big events in our life. This is when we think of sexual abuse, physical abuse, extreme emotional neglect, right? The big things that could be really cataclysmic and shake our world. For a very long time, we knew, right, that that had impact. Into the 90s, we discovered that, yes, we carry even the impact of that, that could have happened decades earlier in childhood, into our adulthood. We carry it in our physical bodies. We might have physical symptoms, med medical illnesses, and we carry it in our emotional worlds, our inability to cope with emotions, maybe even symptoms of different diagnoses. However, other types of hurt, in my opinion, were left out. And a lot of the hurt that was left out is more relational hurt, hurt around our emotions, hurt where we maybe once self-expressed in one way. I shared sadness with my mother who my sadness overwhelmed my mother. So she withdrew. I become shameful before I know it. I start to shield even my, myself from that sadness. And when we see this patterning, we see it in our relationships and we carry the hurt. It looks like adaptations. It looks like masks we wear. It looks like picking a certain type of partner, even though it always ends up the same consequences or the same type of relationship that we've determined doesn't work for us. We carry the hurt. We carry it in our bodies. We carry it in our minds and it translates into our relationships. Yeah. And then those are patterns. And the patterns just keep on coming until we dig in and do the work. Yes, absolutely. And, and the byproduct of those patterns is like I was saying earlier, some of us really do begin to indulge this idea that, well, there must be some reason why I keep walking down the same road. I don't quote unquote know better, even though I've lived the consequences, which might be dire for some of us. I feel 
I, this is just strengthening that belief I was talking about earlier. Well, it must be because I'm broken. It must be because I don't, I don't actually deserve this other type of relationship. And then some of us might even have the gift of very well-meaning loved ones around us who are screaming and yelling at these red flags that they're seeing, right? They're almost playing the tape out of our relationships. Like, oh girl, don't go down that path again. And yet we still, we can't, we can't because in those patterns is the familiar. We as human creatures love the familiar. Mm -hmm. It's where we seek safety. If I can predict what's coming next, I inherently feel safer than if I have no idea, even if what's coming next might have negative consequences. So before we know it, we are very patterned and we seek the familiar, even if again, it carries consequences that don't serve us. That's so funny because security, like fear, like I've, I've never felt safe in my whole life. I did a session with them. Do you know Peter Crone? So he like makes you fill out this form and like, he's like, okay, so it's very clear, you know, safety and fear, like, you know, fear for your safety. That's always been your biggest thing. And, and so, um, so that he kind of made me aware of it. And then in the last few years, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm afraid for me, but I'm afraid I see my neighbor's gate open. I'm like, oh my God, their gates open. What if the dog gets out? What if someone enters the property and burglarizes them? I'm always worried about everybody's safety. And What's funny is like, I have always had a really strong intuition, some would call it psychic abilities. Um, And I had a psychic recently was like, you are super psychic. I'm just going to tell you right now, you are super psychic. And my husband diagnosed me and he goes, Maria, he's like, you had to become psychic because that was your only relief. Like you had to be able to predict what was coming to try to protect yourself from, from more coming at you. Just so funny. I hear that when you say what you just said. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Hey, Heal Squad, we have been on quite the journey together and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. Kelsey is so great at making sure she responds to all of you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as 10 dollars a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. 
Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you. Yes. I mean, and what you're describing is the process that a lot of us go through in childhood when we're dependent. The world is a big, scary place. We can't meet our needs on our own. Our life wouldn't continue if someone didn't show up for us. That state of dependency in and of itself is terrifying for an infant, right? And then, of course, depending on how consistently or not, how equipped or not the humans showing up for us were, reminding ourselves that they too are humans. They too were taught by other humans and might be limited in their own skills, right? It's a scary place and we deal with big feelings a lot. And when we don't have someone who's attuned, who can show up when we're in a state of distress, what is distress as an infant? When we're crying, when we're crying, there's usually a need. Um, we're hungry. We need to be changed. We're tired, right? A need. Our, our nervous system, what's happening in that moment, it becomes stressed. It actually activates into our sympathetic or fight or flight nervous system, signaling to our body that it's unsafe. We're unsafe when we have an unmet need. And then, of course, hypothetically, if someone comes and helps tend to our need, we begin to learn safety. I can, I can have a need. My body can need nutrients. My body can be tired. I can even have an emotion. I can be upset or frustrated. And someone comes and helps me. I begin to develop trust. I develop security that I can handle the world around me. And when I don't, when I feel unsafe, when I don't have that consistency in any area, this is where, again, we enter things more than having our physical needs met. I put up a post today about emotional neglect. When we don't have someone helping us tend to our needs, allowing us to express sadness, express anger, and allowing us in the space or modeling for us how to regulate it, we continue to be in that activated nervous system state. And we actually never feel safe in the body. So what happens, a lot of us do very much like you do, it becomes a hypervigilance where mm -hmm. the best safety we can create for ourselves mm -hmm. is by scanning the world around us and anticipating what's coming next. Because if I can predict something very unsafe is coming next, I can set myself up to cope with it. And a lot of us carry that body dysregulation. Our nervous system actually never unshifts or kind of downshifts from that stress state into adulthood. We continue to be hypervigilant of our environments, always scanning for threats. And even this plays out in our relationships where we're constantly monitoring maybe the needs of someone else. If I can anticipate what my partner needs in this moment, right, I might be able to avoid a blowout or conflict or something that might make me uncomfortable. And again, that's a perfect, thank you for sharing that, example of that adaptation I was talking. The early environment, even those of us who maybe were being fed and we did have the security of a roof over our head, if we didn't feel safe around our emotions, we do adapt in some way. And a lot of us never grow out of it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm thinking of so many intense moments right now. Um, and I'm sure everybody else listening is too. Um, let's talk a little bit about trauma bonds. I know my husband and I have one. Yes. I know that Lolly and I um, started out in one myself. Because so you can start out bond? in one and then get out yes. of it? Yes, okay. absolutely. A trauma bond, um, in, in, in my definition, is our kind of familiar, let's go back to that word because it applies here, our for the relationship pattern that we're most familiar with, right? The way that we show up, the needs we express, how are we most used to 
feeling our relationships, navigating our relationships, being in relationship. And where does that form? In those earliest relationships. When it's our parents, our caregivers, or whoever was, you know, in charge of meeting those needs that I was just describing earlier, because our brains, right, are part of the picture here, we begin to create neural networks, right, of familiarity, even within our relationships. We learn the caregiver that's going to show up to meet our need. We learn how to ensure that that need gets met as consistently as possible. So we become the child who, if mom can't tolerate my sadness, I show less of it because I need mom, because mom meets other needs for me. And I am most safe when I don't show sadness to mom. So I then modify myself. Now, this pattern that began usually in our caregiving or parent relationships becomes the model that we begin to explore with our peers, right? So if we become in childhood, as some of us are, the, the child that's attuned to mom, like I was describing, and doesn't try right to make mom angry, chances are in our relationships, we adopt that same role, right? The caregiver, I'm going to use you as an example, the person always maybe anticipating the needs of the partner or the friend so that you can, right, continue to meet those needs because that's what you are familiar with. So this very widened definition allows us to understand that a lot of us are in patterns of relationships that are familiar, that aren't serving us. And because we're driven to that familiar, that's why we ignore the red flags. We ignore the well-meaning friends because that's almost become our comfort zone. So that's what I call a trauma bond. And yes, we can evolve out of that. What is important is the awareness, understanding what are the patterns that I'm creating in my relationship or participating in? Am I acknowledging my own needs or am I squashing or suppressing some of them because that's what I did in childhood? Am I able to explore my emotions and express them to the relationships around me? Or am I suppressing them or repressing them like I did in childhood? So as soon as we become aware of what we are doing, how we are participating in our relationships, then we can, like I was saying earlier, make space to begin to make new choices because we are a participant in those relationships. Even the ones that aren't working, we need to begin to do things differently to actually create change them. And we can, once we become conscious of what it is that isn't working. Mm, yeah. I work with um, a, a somatic expression healer and he always talks about like new patterns, new behaviors, new choices. And so it's ingrained in me now every day to really try to approach things differently. I'll be like, okay, well, in this scenario, normally I would handle it like this. And I think if I was insane, I would continue on that path because I keep getting the same results. Let me apply something new. And then I apply that new thing. And then I'm like you know, my poodle, I cock my head to the left. I'm like, oh, well, that was different. Okay. All right. That was a little better. I like that. <laughs> but you well, have to be conscious of what wasn't working or what pattern you had been consistently in to say, okay, I'm going to try something different. What I was going to offer, and I'm, I apologize for intruding in there, but the thing is, is we you might not even get to that assessment of, oh, that worked or, oh, I feel better or, oh, that feels good because actually what happens more often than not first is we feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. with the newness. And the reason why I offered the neural networks and the fact that our brain is involved is because our brain is involved. And that matters a lot because our bodies become now familiar with maybe it's the person who's in that fight or flight, always scanning the room. That's become the familiar for our body. So like me, right, as a stressed out human, I've, I've only known stress since, since childhood, yet if you would have heard me speak 
I would say, I'm a hippie at heart, peace, peace and love. All I want to do is chill out, right? I don't want to be stressed. I want peace. However, to my body that was used to cortisol, that was used to being in fight or flight, that moment of peace when no one else around me to create stress wasn't peaceful. It was uncomfortable. So a lot of us can't create change because the second we kind of walk into discomfort, the discomfort of whatever the new thing is, we take that to mean that, oh, maybe we shouldn't be going in this direction, right? Maybe this is a marker that this isn't meant for us. So I talk a lot about, I call it resistance. And I urge us all to anticipate that because the new thing doesn't often feel good immediately. Over time, it will, right? Sometimes we can't even feel the, the repercussions of the new choice yet because we just feel uncomfortable because it's new. Yeah. So here's the thing. You probably, well, not probably, you are the hippie. It's just it got layered on with all of these different traumas and life experiences. Mm -hmm. Like I remember going to my first Tony Robbins seminar and afterwards, I all I could say was I felt like a layer of dust and dirt just got cleaned off the windshield. Like he windexed me and I was like, whoa, I think I see again. <laughs> and so... I think what happens is there's who we are when we come in and then all of that stuff just gets layered on. And if you're not washing that windshield often or at least trying, you're, it's just going to pile on and then it's going to get really thick and really hard and you're not going to ever, it's, you're going to need real powerful chemicals to clean it. And that's generally what happens to all of us. We get to a place where we need a real powerful chemical like you to come in and like start wiping it out, but it's going to take a while, which is why you have to go through lots of sessions and lots of time um, to get it all fixed. But you are that hippie. It's just returning to that hippie. Like you said, when you first got into this, this um, world and outside of the traditional kind of therapy world, you had to unlearn and unparent and kind of go backwards. And that was what I realized after I had brain surgery. I'm like, I think I need to re-raise myself because there are certain things that I see more clearly now when you have like a situation like a brain tumor and you have brain surgery, lots of things go into perspective. I'm like, I need to re-raise myself. I need to reevaluate and I need to redefine kind of success for me moving forward and how I'm going to approach stuff because this is not serving me anymore. This is craziness. I often think of kind of similar to the, the dirty windshield analogy, the onion, right? We all have that space in us. Intuition, you used that word earlier, that inner knowing, that mm -hmm. guidance, right? That self-expression. So my inner hippie, that exists to anyone listening, within each of you, I assure you. Chances are, though, your onion layers are so thick that one of two things have happened. You can't, or it's uncomfortable to access that. You can't hear that knowing. You don't know what your authentic self-expression is in any given moment, or you might hear it. However, you don't trust it. So you become that person who maybe filters it. Oh, this is what I want to say or do right now, but how will that affect that person? Or this is what I feel is right for me, but my doctor didn't say that. My doctor actually said the other thing, right? So now I don't listen to that inner knowing. So again, that part and that space in each of us is there. Healing is a journey of unpeeling, of undoing, and of reaccessing that that space within us. And for a lot of us, that means, right? Change, like making the choices that will allow our bodies to shift so that we can create that space to know ourselves. Because a lot of us, if you're in that 
hypervigilant body, I can go ahead and imagine that listeners who are anxious, if you identify as an anxious human, if you have panic attacks, if you're always nervous, I would go as far to say you probably were like I once was. The idea of sitting and listening to an inner self or an inner knowing is probably the most uncomfortable thing in the world, right? Because our bodies now won't allow us to stop, don't feel safe enough to stop, to actually begin to hear what I might know and want to express. And then I might not feel safe enough to do so. So here's where all of these kind of concepts tie together. And again, if bringing it back to relationships, a lot of times these patterns are playing out in our relationships, especially when they're romantic, because that's for many of us where the deepest feelings are. Yeah. Is the, by the way, side note, just for a little giggle, since we're talking about so much heavy stuff, um, is the onion analogy, because as you peel the onion, you're crying because it's such an emotional no, journey. <laughs> but that's what I was thinking the whole time. Every time I'd peel the onion, I cry harder, which is, the, you know, definitely what happens as you're peeling your, you know, hypothetical onion. Well, you're bringing up a point. A lot of us don't allow ourselves to drop into that space because it is uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? In childhood, when I didn't have someone to help me navigate big feelings, I dissociated or I disconnected. I just, my body decided that that's too much. It's unsafe. I went away as I call it on my spaceship, never to look back again for decades. I didn't look at these patterns. I didn't look at how I was feeling. I didn't have access to it because I was so far apart. And as I began to realize, right, that I needed to look at some of these things, whew, out came the discomfort now of decades, enough for you to want to go back in that turtle shell. So I love that kind of addition of the onion analogy being it's painful. Yeah. Healing is a painful journey, understanding, right, our habits and patterns, whether or not you know where they came from, you don't necessarily have to, because you can start right here, right now oftentimes it brings pain with it. Yeah. No pain, no gain. <laughs> well, I think in, in relationships, right? Like I see so many friends who have a hard time in relationships um, that maybe aren't even aware that these things are patterns and are, are happening. How do you advise people who haven't found their partner, are really desperate to find that partner, to to kind of look a little deeper and and what kind of work would you suggest they do and because like i said I, i'm surrounded by single friends who and me, you know everyone wants to blame los angeles but wherever someone is they want to blame their city because it's so much easier to be like oh my god all the guys here are this or all the guys here are that um but the truth is is there's something that's not working and, um, and they're all great people. And I just, I get so sad because I just see the same patterns. Like you said, the well-meaning friends who are like, Hey, <laughs> yeah. so this is where I give, I think the more non-traditional sounding relationship type advice. Cause I think traditionally a lot of us maybe are, are taught, or we think the answer is in something external, right? I'm picking the wrong person. If I just understand the attributes to pick, you know, I could find the relationship I want. Maybe if I put myself in different environments, whatever it is, something outside of me, um, a lot of, or, or if you're in a partnership, asking the partner to change something aspect of them so I can experience them and the relationship differently. My belief on relationship as my belief in all things healing is change actually begins with me. So for those of us who don't yet have partners, you don't actually need to be worrying about 
the attributes that will work for you versus won't. The goal would be to focus on how do you show up in the relationships you do have? How is it when you relate to your family or your friends? How are you in a relationship? And again, what are you bringing possibly from your past that isn't serving you? And how can you can be create change in yourself so that you can meet your own needs? Because what a lot of us are doing when we look to pick the right partner, we're, we have this idea that if only someone showed up differently, they'd meet my need the way I need it to be met. And the underlying belief in that is I need people to meet my needs and maybe even in a particular way. And I believe that when we have the most authentic and deepest and fulfilling relationships is when we show up meeting our own needs. Doesn't mean that we don't get support. Doesn't mean that we don't rely on our relationships. Of course we do, though I know how to take care of myself, how to create safety in my body, and I can be empowered to understand the role I'm playing in that relationship. And all of that, I can walk that journey of on my own. So a great question to ask outside of, well, how am I in relationships is how, how aware of my own needs am I, right? Can I care for this body? Am I in a dysregulated body? Can I begin to create change in myself so that when I walk into a relationship and become activated, I can do something differently? What's a dysregulated body? A dysregulated body is, is when our, our physiology, our nervous system in particular, is usually in a, in a state of activation. When I talk about the nervous system, when I talk about the body in general, I, I really simplify it. So for any science people out there, I'm not going to be saying right the big, the big names of things. We're really going to simplify for understanding. We have two main states, three, of nervous system activation. We Fight or flight is one of them. The official name is the sympathetic response. That's when our body feels activated when there's stress, when I feel threatened and I'm ready to fight, to fight it, to fight or to run away from it, to say, oh, I can't fight this and I need to leave. I'm going to activate myself to create safety so that once the threat has been met, right, I've either fought it and stopped the threat or I've left the scenario of the threat, then my body can downshift into another state of nervous system activation, which is called the parasympathetic or rest and digest. That ideally is the state that most of us humans should be spending most of our time in. And what that feels like is calm, peaceful. My body feels rested. All of my systems, my digestion, my sleep is all humming along, right? I'm able to get sleep. I feel rested when I wake up. I don't have digestive issues as I know a lot of us do, right? That's our ideal state. When we're not in that, we might be in fight or flight. Again, our heart rate might always be um, elevated. I might always feel tense. I might be like you described, always scanning my environment. Maybe I'm always running from things to keep myself safe. And then the third one that I want to talk about is shutdown. When I become so completely overwhelmed and I become dissociated, like I talked about, when my body is actually shut down because it became so overwhelmed, and this looks like I feel numb. Feelings, what feelings? I barely even feel my body. This was me at one point. If I was asked, like, how does your body feel? My only word I could have given was tense because that's all it really ever felt. 
What about emotionally? How do you feel? I didn't really know how I felt because I was so, so disconnected. So it looks like feeling numb, having no energy, feeling totally lifeless, almost flatlined. That's a different state of nervous activation. It's called shutdown. And again, a lot of this, if you're listening, sounds like the symptoms, sounds like what we're calling anxiety, sounds like what we're calling depression, right? It's coming out in our relationships. And again, it originates in our bodies. Wow. That's a lot. Um, If we are in a relationship that isn't serving us, how do we shift out of that into more like authentic bonds? Yeah. So I understanding, right? How and, and where it's not serving you. And that means getting attuned to yourself right? What needs are going unmet? What aren't you feeling safe to express? What's happening now, right? And again, we all have different degrees of what's happening in our relationships that create a lack of safety. And then of course, we have to have an awareness of, of boundaries, of limits, right? If we are continuing to walk into a relationship that violates us or where there's violating behaviors in any way, of course, then the best decision we can make for ourselves to create safety is to put up a boundary, to take space or distance or to end that relationship. And then of course, there's all of the other spectrum of ways relationships might not be serving my authentic self-expression. Once we understand what's, what's happening, what needs aren't being met that might be there, then we can begin to learn how to safely express those needs. And for a lot of us, that begins with ourself first, because for a lot of us, we're not able to even, like I was sharing, identify or acknowledge our needs ourselves. We might then not have any idea where to start. We might not know what to do with these feelings. And I'll be the first to admit, I went to school for many years to become a doctor of, if you will, feelings, right? I knew how to talk the game, but like I shared with you, no idea how to tend to my own. Felt like I dove into the deep end and and might as well have drowned. I didn't actually know. And I'm sharing that because I think a lot of us as adults, we feel shameful if we don't know. We feel like, oh, I can't can't say I don't know, right? And I definitely then don't know how to start to find out. So I just won't go there. Um, So again, I share that a lot of our journey then becomes exploring the ways to meet those needs, exploring the ways to begin to safely express for ourselves, And that work begins by acknowledging the needs, acknowledging why we're not expressing them, and then beginning to meet them ourselves and then communicate them to others. Yeah. And sometimes a relationship just takes its course and there's no kind of big thing that happens, but maybe you didn't grow together, or maybe you're now becoming more aware of your needs that are not being met that you do need, right? I'm sure you see that a lot. Absolutely. I mean, there's many different reasons why we choose to create distance or or end relationships. I think in our our society, there is a a big, uh, widely held belief that tenure of relationship, right? How long I've been in them or the longer I'm in them, right? The harder it feels to get out, or I feel like it's a badge of honor. Oh, it's already been 20 years, right? That I've been in this relationship. That's, that's a good thing, right? That, that means that the relationship is, is, is healthy. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case at all. Um, I think a lot of us are continuing in relationships because it's our familiar, though it isn't necessarily allowing us to be authentically who we are. Totally. What about 
Codependency. Can we talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that? I feel like I just know a smidge of what it is, and I'd love to to know more about um, what it is, why it doesn't serve us, how do we kind of even identify it, and so on and so forth. I'm smiling um, as a definitely a still in recovery codependent <laughs> myself. Um, because again, from my earliest relationships, what I learned was a similar hypervigilance that that many of us do that you were describing. I learned that in, in a stressed environment um, where I had a mom and an older sister who had very kind of consistent and active health-related issues, health-related concerns, there was a lot of stress in this environment. I learned that to continue to get my needs met, I had to be attuned to these people around me. So what I began to do is I filtered my needs through the impact it would have on them, just like I was describing earlier, right? I might've wanted to share something as a child, you know, when I was very young and I might've been like, oh, that might've, that might stress mom out. And mom's, you know, mom has enough stress because something's happening with my sister right now. So, you know, I'm not going to share that. So now what I've done is I identified, I have a need. I want to share this with someone, my mom, who might, I, my, I might feel close to in that moment. And I filtered it through what that person might need. Some of us just become over-reliant on other people, right? We never grow out of this idea that others should be meeting all of our needs. Like I described in childhood, of course, that's the case. We can't meet our own needs. However, into adulthood, our goal is to take the baton, right? Is to have learned ourself enough to have been modeled by those around us, tools to have been helped along to regulate when things feel too uncomfortable, right? When I'm too stressed out to have someone to help me. And then over time, the goal is for me to begin to acknowledge, identify, and meet my needs. And some of us who come, again, from certain environments, don't ever take that baton over. And we become an adult who, if you're not filtering, what, how do my needs impact someone else? You might be just totally relying on someone else to have your needs met. Maybe even you believe that to be true. I did a, um, we just did a podcast, Jenna and I, on the Self-Healer Soundboard about unrealistic relationship expectations. And one of them is, is that idea that you should meet all of my needs. This is what a relationship is. And again, that comes from that codependent conditioning where there was that person that was always showing up. I was totally reliant and I've never taken it over. And again, there's a lot of environment that that can translate into this codependency. What it looks like in adulthoods is overly relying on other people, allowing other people's moods to affect your own. If your partner comes home stressed, before you know it, you're stressed too. You adopt the feelings, the beliefs, and even sometimes the needs of others as your own to the complete detriment of ourself because our needs actually never go away. Even if you're on a spaceship like I was and you don't feel them, it doesn't mean that your body doesn't have needs. It doesn't mean that there aren't emotions that are deep down in there. So what you've come to do in your relationship is meet someone else's needs or have yours met through how you're showing up for someone else. Whoa. So when we're codependent, does that mean that we're not connected to ourselves? We're not connected to ourselves. We might be overriding ourselves. that connection. Like I was describing earlier, we might have the inclination of what I'd like to say or what I'd like to do or how I'd like to see this relationship play out but I might've played that tape out. I might've expressed that before and it wasn't received well. Um, So then I might choose not to do it this time. Interesting. Guys, do you have anything on codependency while we're on it? 
I haven't, mine's more like, not necessarily codependency, mine's more like insecurities in relationships. And I feel like that kind of feeds into codependency a little bit. I mean, they all kind of feed each other. But what about like, how do we go about identifying them and then not acting on them? I mean, I feel like that's something that I do a lot that I have just recently become aware like, whoa, that's a trigger or that's a this, Kelsey, because you're, you you are insecure. It's not their problem. So how do we go about, you know, that's dealing with that? Yeah. A lot of times, you know, what insecurity originates in is that lack of knowledge, that lack of knowing, not having that consistent caregiver that showed up. And what that translated to me is many things. I'm not worthy to have someone show up. I don't know how to meet my needs on my own. I actually don't feel safe with myself um, is the ultimate byproduct of that. So I become then an insecure person who looks for indication of safety or validation in the world around me. Um, Because again, I, I, I can't give that to myself. Um, I, I look to other people um, to feed that, to create that stable base of security. And, and when we understand what our needs are, then of course we have to learn how to, you know, even if we might get reactions from other people, even if we don't know how they're going to experience it, to begin to express it, even while that fear is there, because those of us who have that insecurity, who don't feel worthy of expressing our needs, that fear doesn't go away. And when I'm hearing reactivity, a lot of us are reactive then. When a need is there and is unmet and we don't anticipate it's going to be met, we might as well be like that crying baby that I was describing earlier because we are. Our nervous system is actually now activated. I don't feel safe. My body isn't safe because it is probably not in that calm, peaceful state of activation. It's probably either totally shut down, like I was describing earlier, or I might be cycling in that fight or flight, the flee kind of mentality, I'm not safe. And this is why I I urge us all to think about ourselves as a holistic human, because I could say here and give the words and say, oh yes, if you're insecure, you just have to learn to express your needs and do so safely. Your body might actually be sending your mind all of the signals to the contrary. It might be saying to you, because your need has gone unmet for so long, that your body is absolutely not safe. You might actually not even be meeting your body's needs. You might not be sleeping as much as your body needs or giving it the nutrients your body needs. And this is why for so many of us, we haven't been able to think our way to security or think our way to a healthy relationship or think our way to peace or happiness, right? All that positive thinking and affirmation might not work because reactivity lives in our body. And if our body isn't safe, our mind isn't going to be safe either. Holy cow. (laughs) My God. Yeah. It's a lot, like, I think it seems like a lot of it ties to unworthiness, right? So when your needs are met, you instantly feel like I'm not worthy of it. Like, I just keep thinking of my mom telling me, (laughs) she, she told me one day, she goes, when I was really young, I was like a baby. I was young, young. I started crying. And my, she goes, your father, Maria, he hit you. You never cry again. And I was like, oh, oh, (laughs) doesn't sound good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, but then at the same time, I feel like I'm just a cry baby. Like all I, if I get like, you know, emotional, I just can't, I can't hold it in. So then I'm like, well, how did the opposite happen as an adult where I feel like all I do is cry, you know, mm-hmm. it's so strange, but all of those like little things that happen, 
set impact set mm-hmm. the 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 kind of stage for everything else but then you're like okay I can't have emotions and then already as girls growing up you're taught that you're not supposed to have emotions right we're not supposed to yes. be angry we're not supposed to express our needs because then we're little divas or you know the girls are different the boys are different they can do whatever they want girls you got to be perfect you got to have your little bow and your little dress and it's so much and it's so overwhelming. And this all makes me want to find like multiple turtle shells to hide underneath. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to like, sometimes I'm like, I look at the pool. I'm like, can we just go to the bottom and not come up? Because this world is so overwhelming because there are so many of us. We're all carrying so much. And then you're supposed to force yourself into this world to model whatever that perfect kind of model is where you're totally effective and you can, you know, hustle and handle a lot and you're like super successful and amazing and perfect and blah, blah, blah. And we're all fucking just, no wonder we're all just riddled with anxiety and just falling apart at the seams and getting sick because we don't know how to really be. We just are acting what we're supposed to be. There's so many influences, right, that come out in all these different spheres. For some of us, it's that very gendered kind of messaging or modeling that we got in childhood where we were, you know, and sometimes it's not even direct. We might not have been the child who was told girls do this or don't do this or boys do this or don't do that or whatever it might be. It might just have been in what we saw or experienced the genders around us doing or not doing, right? That is such an incredibly powerful teacher, for others, it's cultural, right? There's a lot of beliefs culturally that are transmitted through generations. Another bigger group still is like I was saying earlier, all of us are raised by humans. It's generational, right? Some of us, so my parents came from a depression error, right? So of, and of my dad, very heavily Italian background, there was a very big belief in my household that there were only basic needs. Keep the child alive. and Custodial weren't on the table because they didn't know they weren't ever taught that there were emotions to be tended to. And quite honestly, they didn't, they couldn't care about them, but also their emotions weren't met. Exactly. So they were focused on survival. So as in the human parent that they become my mom, my dad say they weren't tending to their own emotions. So they weren't talking to me about what I should or shouldn't do around my emotions, nor were they showing me. And what happens, I'm happy you brought up that kind of core concept of unworthiness because you are 100% right. Because in childhood, when we be, we're so attuned and when we sense that our needs aren't consistently getting met and or when something violating happens or abusive happens, the developmental maturity of our brain can only understand that in one way when we're below age seven, only one way. And that way is I played a role. It's my fault. When my needs aren't met in childhood, the only way our our brain can understand it is I was bad. I was unworthy of having my need met. That belief doesn't go anywhere as we age. We become then the adult who's driven from that idea of unworthiness, probably continuing to not allow our needs to be met. And again, it originated because that's developmentally the only way we could understand the situation. We couldn't understand that our parents come from other parents and generations and they leave our home out to a work and it's stressful out there and they might have their own things going on. So right when mom or dad or whomever came through the door stressed out and angry, it wasn't about me at all. But as my child, when I was in a child developmental stage, I could only understand it that it was me. And God forbid, I did have the parent who 
Your toys are on the floor. This is why it's happening. Now I have the verbal confirmation that I did do something wrong, continuing to strengthen that belief of unworthiness that yes, we carry into adulthood with the pressures that never go away. We're still told how things should look, how we should be, what's successful, what's an ideal life, what isn't. And you know, we carry that and then we respond to that. And you're right. We don't know. We don't actually know ourselves. Yeah. And and it's funny. I had a therapist who said, she goes, you had custodial parents. Custodial. And it sounds like you probably had a similar situation. And we also had that health situation in our house where my dad was almost dying on a daily basis. So we were in fight or flight constantly. Is he alive? Is he dead? Mm -hmm. And so there was no time for our emotional needs, but they never had their emotional needs met. So how would they even know? Exactly. You came from a village with no running water. I mean, they they Mm -hmm. did not have any of this. So every generation does the best that they can with what they have, but it still doesn't change your situation, right? So then you go without your needs being met. Now, most people end up keep meeting somebody you know, their relationships will continue to be people who can't meet their needs, right? Can't meet their needs or can't allow the space, right? Because I think it's more about allowing the space to have needs met. Because remember, we don't fully want to be reliant on someone to meet my needs. We want to have a safe environment where I can show up either meeting my needs myself and it doesn't cause you any distress or you allow me, even if you don't prefer that I be doing it this way, you allow me to do it. It doesn't create a lack of safety, right, in our environment. That is, I think, what we're more going for is the space, the safety, and the ability to self-express even when it is uncomfortable. We're not looking for someone to meet our needs. We're looking for the safe space where we can bring them to the table, which does include sometimes asking for support and then receiving the support or asking for you know a partner to actually go and help you care for a need of your own. It's the space that we're looking for because, again, we have to be careful not to just look for the partner to do it entirely because then we are powerless. We're disempowered and not every, A, it's an impossible, unrealistic expectation that someone be able to show up in service of you every day in day in and day out because they are a human too with a life happening. <laughs> Believe Kevin, it or not. Kevin sometimes will be like, I'm a human. I'm like, no, honey, you're just my, my blow up toy. <laughs> Whenever I need you, I'm like a broken nail. I need you. <laughs> Yeah. I think we a lot of us have that belief, right? That yeah. that and and not realizing that there might be other factors happening in that person's life at that time that involve themselves, their own needs that are actually healthier for them to meet because what happens if you are the person who squashes your needs like a lot of us are and you show up in service of someone else immediately, you think, "Oh, I'm being nice, I'm being kind." Maybe you think I'm being loving, I'm tending to my partner. Isn't this what you're supposed to do? What's happening behind the scenes is you're actually accumulating resentment because you're 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 watching yourself not meet your need, outsource, put someone else ahead of you. And over time, you're probably going to do what I once did, hold that person responsible at some time in the future, maybe even leave the relationship as a result of it, because now you're so resentful. Because like I was saying, your needs haven't ever gone anywhere, yet you don't actually look at the fact that you overstepped them in service of meeting someone else's. You just hold that other person responsible. Ooh, so good. Hey guys, that's the end of our first part of our interview with Dr. Nicola Parrott. It was so good that we decided to keep on going. So here is part two. 
This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions.